Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and he went and behold a man of Ethiopia. Behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of all the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. This was a very highfalutin individual. He was the treasury. He, the treasurer that took care of all the treasury of Ethiopia. And he came to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to worship. Verse 28 said that he was returning and he was sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit, the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he asked him, he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I? except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, and he said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet. Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. I love this. And he began at the same scripture. Philip didn't go to some other scripture because he didn't know how to explain this one. Philip started where the man was reading. He started at the same scripture in Isaiah and he preached to him Jesus. The first place Philip went was not John 3.16. He went to the prophet Isaiah where the man was reading and he preached to him Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. So he preached to him Jesus, and as they went their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, well, there's water right here. He said, what does hinder me from being baptized? There's a reason he asked this question, because he has been hindered for the last couple of days, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. He said, what does hinder me? And Philip said, sir, if you believe with all your heart, then you may be baptized. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is 
the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I feel tonight with the help of the Lord to preach to you for just a few moments tonight on leaving without answers. Leaving without answers. Let us pray. God, we love you and we need you. We bless you tonight because you're holy, you are sovereign, and there is none like you. I pray tonight for every man, woman, and child that is seated under the sound of my voice, and I pray, God, that there would be an undeniable experience in this house tonight that we would know when we leave this place that we have been in the presence of the Lord. We thank you tonight for your holy word. It's forever settled in heaven, and tonight we ask that you would settle it in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and let the church say amen. Well, while you remain standing for just one moment tonight, I want us to have a quick word of prayer. Uh, before service, I heard from Brother Richard Bess, and he told me that he's been having dizzy spells for the last couple of days and doesn't know what's going on, and he asked this church to pray. And so tonight, I want us to bind together and call our brother's name before the Lord. Would you join me right now in the name of Jesus? We call Brother Best before you, God, and we ask that you would heal. In the name of the Lord, we release healing from this sanctuary to wherever he may be right now. I pray in Jesus' name that the very source of the problem would be fixed. And God, that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. In the name of the Lord, if you know he's a healer tonight, would you give God praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. I'm going to somewhat uh, tonight just do some expository type teaching and preaching out of Acts chapter 8. There's a whole lot to gather here. Uh, or as, as some like to say, there's a lot to unpack here. But I want to just, I, I want to I preach to you what I've been feeling on my heart for some time. About leaving without answers. Now the scripture, the scripture is so explicit in this narrative about the way that Philip was led to the eunuch. And... I wish tonight that I could take the time really to express to you the value of what's transpiring in the, in the beginning portion of this. I don't, I don't necessarily believe scripturally that the eunuch was spirit-led to Jerusalem because the eunuch was just looking for answers. You understand what I'm saying? The scripture doesn't allude to the idea that the eunuch was spirit-led from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. But we do know that when he got to Jerusalem and he was leaving Jerusalem, that Philip was spirit-led to the eunuch. Okay? Now, 
understanding why this is so important is because this Ethiopian man, although he was a man of high class and a man of high clout, he was the treasurer of all the riches of the Ethiopian queen Candace. Although Ethiopia was a very wealthy nation and he controlled all the finances of Ethiopia, he was still considered to be a stranger in Jerusalem. I can't imagine the frustration that this man had. Now, my opinion about this is, of course, the scripture being explicit and implicit. I would guess with him being the treasurer of Ethiopia that there's a good, there's a good possibility that this man did not come to Jerusalem empty-handed. There's a really good possibility that this man came to Jerusalem with some wealth with him. He desired to take something back to Ethiopia. And so perhaps even Candace the queen had sent him to Jerusalem to find some answers. Now, if you understand this Hebrew way of thinking, this Hebrew God, this this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was quite a mystical power in the earth and all the kings and queens of the earth wanted to know something about him. As a matter of fact, if you go back a little further into Solomon, the Bible said that the queen of Sheba came and she wanted to see the temple. And, and uh, the Bible said that she was so blown away when she saw Solomon rising into the temple that her spirit left her. And so my point very simply is that all the kings and the queens of the earth, all the powers in the earth wanted to know what is it about God's people that is so special and what is it about this God that makes him so powerful. And so no doubt Candace had tucked a few jewels into the chariot of, of this Ethiopian eunuch and sent him as her representative and said, now when you get there, whatever it costs you to get in that temple, I want you to go in that temple and I want you to bring me back some news on what we've got to do in Ethiopia to get that kind of power here. But if you understand at all what was happening in this season of time in Jewish history, we know that in the temple that was standing in this moment, Herod's temple, it's the temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. with all the rest of Jerusalem. You understand that there was no Ethiopian that was ever going to walk beyond the outer court of the temple. Because that's where strangers and Gentiles had to stay. I was reading this just the other day and my heart began to be overwhelmed when I thought about all of the planning and all of the effort that Candace, the queen, had involved in this trip and all of the stress. I don't know how it is in your house, but it seems like nothing ever goes as planned when you're leaving on a trip, right? And you may think you got everything packed that you need packed, but when you get in the car, somebody's going to say, oh, you know what I forgot? And uh, I can only imagine that this man was pretty stressed because he was representing a higher power and 
He goes to leave Ethiopia and head toward Jerusalem. And he's checking, man, I hope I've got everything. He's checking every pocket, every bag, every piece of luggage, everything. Do I have everything that I need? Am I going to be short of anything? Do I have enough food? Do I have, uh, do I have enough protection that if on my way somebody tries to rob me? You know, it was a lot that was going into this trip. And he goes through all the frustration of traveling. I, I know that back then it had to be pretty frustrating, but... Uh, just the other day, I was in the airport, and, and uh, I carry these, uh, this, this uh, electrolyte powder with me to keep me hydrated while I'm traveling and, and, and preaching and sweating and all that. You know, just like, it's like a healthier version of Gatorade without all kinds of sugar in it and keeps salt in my system. And so I, I've, I've got what they call TSA Pre, so you're supposed to just be able to go right through security. And I mean, it's a name brand deal right in my bag. You can tell it looks like a little Kool-Aid thing. And, it's in my bag, and I'm standing there at security, and I watch my bag go around the other way. I'm like, oh, great. So I'm standing there, and they're checking this other lady's bag. The lady in front of me that they were checking, she had 429 kids with her. And every kid had something in their bag they weren't supposed to have. And I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm saying, why in the world did I pay extra for TSA pre-check when I got to get behind... I, I'm like, I know this woman don't have TSA pre. There's no way she's got it. And she's got all these kids and these, these three guys over here. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if you travel much with TSA, you know it's frustrating because it's just, it is what it is. And, uh, man, they are spazzing out. There's two guys that, that have lived their whole life wanting to wear a badge. You can tell. And you got... You got Barney and Barney up there. And I was praying with everything in me that Andy would show up and say, calm down, boys. But I'm watching these two guys, man, and they're whispering. And like you can tell, it's just a big, big deal going on, you know. And so the woman in front of me, finally, she goes, what's the problem? And the man starts unzipping the bag. And she goes, oh, I know what it is. She called his name Billy or whatever it was. She said, I, he packed his toy gun in that bag. I thought, oh, my word. He, it's a toy? Yes, sir, it's a toy. It's plastic. Well, the next time you travel, don't you put that in this bag. And they, I mean, they went after it, right? So I'm standing there waiting. I'm like, well, thank God it's over. And then my bag goes around the other way. And I'm standing there I'm like, what in the world? I travel this bag all the time. What could be in there? They take out my drink powder. And Barney and Barney and company got over there. And they pulled it out. And they start looking at it, reading it. It says right on it, relight. They're turning it around, twisting it, looking at it. Start sniffing it. Lay it down. They take them white things. They start wiping around the top of it. They look over at me, and I'm just, I'm just standing there looking at They're like, this guy's going to jump, man. He's dangerous. He's got drink in here. I don't know what we're going to do, you know. <laughs> and so the guy wipes the top of it off, and he puts it over in the drug thing, and I'm like, I'm good. Oh, no. No, we weren't good. He opens up the top of it. He reaches down in there and starts scooping it out, putting it on this deal, and it was all the Holy Ghost I had. It almost came out of my mouth and I shut it in the name of Jesus. 
I, I mean, it almost came out of my mouth. Sir, one more little dip and you'll have enough for a whole serving. I know the frustration of traveling. You, you, you walk through there and you think, good grief, there's nothing else I can take off. You know, my, my wife goes through there and you'd think she's a unibomber when she walks through there with bobby pins in her hair. We go through security and they're like, ma'am, do you have something in your hair? Yes, I do. Well, we're going to have to have you take that down. I'm like, look here, Billy Bob. I know back in the day my mother could hide an oatmeal can in hers. Hey, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Is that true? They'd use oatmeal cans? Stack it up. Holy Ghost hair now. But I know the frustrations of traveling. I know what it's like to get to the airport. And you've been on a trip, you got a special case pocket knife that was a gift. (sighs) And you walk through the gate and they stop, sir, is this yours? Yeah, it's mine. What could possibly be in there? And they pull out a peanut knife and you look at it and you know, I'm fixing to lose $85 right now. That poor fellow looked at me, he said, sir, did you know this was in there? I said, sir, no, I didn't know it was in there. He pulled it out and showed me. He said, boy, I sure hate to see you lose this. These are hard to come by these days. I said, I appreciate you rubbing that dirt in my eyes, sir. He took my knife. I know what it's like to be frustrated to travel. But when you get to where you're going, there's always a relief, you know. You walk into your Airbnb or your hotel, you're like, I don't know how y'all do it. But when my family walks in that room, you just, we're here. Step on that cruise ship and it's like, oh, we're there. But this Ethiopian eunuch, he gets to Jerusalem and he wakes up the first morning, walks through that gate, maybe the eastern gate, I don't know. Walks into the city, looks around and he says, oh, I'm here. I made it. He asked somebody, do you, do, you, do you speak this language? Yeah, 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 I understand. Could you tell me how to get to the temple? Sir, the temple, you're looking at it right there. Two streets down to the right. You'll see the stairway starts your ascension. That's how you get there. He starts up the temple stairs. Oh, I finally made it. I'm here, thank God, I made it to the temple. I'm going to take something back home with me. I'm going to take something with me that's going to be a blessing to my people. And he walks up to the top of the stairs and he goes, where can I get in to worship the Lord? And somebody looks at him and says, who do you think you are? And all of a sudden, all of the relief that he had of finally making it has turned into tension again. And he said, what, what, what do you mean? They said, well, sir, you do understand that you can't go any further than right here because This is the outer court. This is the court of the Gentiles. You're you're not allowed to go beyond here, he said. So you're telling me that I came all this way to get answers and there are no answers for me other than you got to stay right here. And this is where religious tradition leaves most people. They get to the edge of something because they're hungry Only to step in through the door of it and realize you've made it this far, but there are no answers. You can go to church every week. 
You can talk to people in this church every week, but you're still going to live the same kind of life. You're still going to be addicted to the same old stuff. You're going to leave this place with no answers. You may have good coffee, and you may have good fellowship, and they may have a good softball team, but you're going to leave with no answers. I want to tell you something tonight, church. It is a shame and a reproach for somebody to walk into the doors of an apostolic church with questions and to leave that church with questions. But when we get vague in our religion and our doctrine, then people are going to receive vague answers. When they're hungry for real answers and we don't have real answers... Come on, I'm going somewhere tonight. They come here expecting. They've heard about us. They've heard about Pentecost. They've heard about power. They've heard about deliverance. But when they walk into the doors of churches, they're not introduced to the power of God as much as they are social clubs. I I had a woman come just the other day to this church, and she said to me, she said, Pastor, sadly, I visited a lot of churches in this area. And she said, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just being honest with you. She said, most of the churches that I've attended have been nothing but glorified nightclubs. And I stood there thinking, God, what have we done with the so-called church in this society when we've got more addicts than we've ever had? We've got more desperate people than we've ever had. But they get led to an outer court and they've got to leave with no answers. I can't imagine, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best here to just stay focused if I can, but I'm telling you, this is my greatest frustration that I'm experiencing in circles of so-called Pentecost that desire to change what we are and desire to change our methods and approaches to salvation. This is why I get frustrated when I hear of people trying to connect our churches with relevant culture rather than letting the church change the culture that is around them. Folks, I'm not here tonight to cast stones, but I want you to understand it has never been the will of God for the church to be relevant to the culture of which we live in. I was in a meeting the other night. I can't even remember who it was that said it. But somebody was preaching. And they said, for the love of everything holy, turn the lights back on in the church. And I understand the frustration. I mean, I get it. If you're going to a concert, you want it to feel like a concert. But if I'm going to church... I said, if I'm going to church, I want it to feel like church. We got, we, we've got a lot of things that people used to talk about us about. It used to be said about Pentecost, those people are holy rollers. They, they used to say, man, those people are crazy. Have you ever been there before? Those people are aisle runners. I don't know what they're doing. I've told this story before, but a buddy of mine was raised Pentecostal and backslid and 
He married a lady that had never been around Pentecost. And he said, the first time I ever took her to a Pentecostal church, I took her to North Little Rock, to the first Pentecostal church. And he said, in the middle of service, this fella in front of us said, the Holy Ghost got to moving, man. He said, I was sitting there with my wife. He said, this guy jumped up and took off running. And she, he said, she turned and looked at me and said, what's he running from and should I be running to? You know, when people, when people used to come to an apostolic church, there was always a risk that the gifts of the Spirit were going to work. When people used to visit apostolic churches, there was always a risk that somebody was going to give tongues and interpretation. When people used to visit apostolic churches, there was always a chance that somebody was going to step out in the aisle and dance like they had lost their mind. When they would visit a Pentecostal church, there was always a risk that that wild man was going to step out and take off running around the church. It was always a risk. But in this day and time that we live in, we have tried our best to polish it up. We've tried our best to make it more appealing. We have tried our best to take the scary off of it. But I want to tell you something. You cannot take away the power of the blood in the church and expect people to feel the same result. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? We've tried to take away the blood conversations. We've tried to take away the Calvary conversations so that we can be quote unquote seeker sensitive and that people are not going to feel uncomfortable when they come. But I was raised in a time that when the word of God went forth, it was there to make the sinner uncomfortable in their sin. I know this is not popular tonight, but I'm going to preach it to you anyway. I want to tell you, I was raised in a church that we had good old-fashioned white-knuckle preaching where the sinner would sit and hold the back of the pew because they were fighting it. But we've got churches now that don't even open up the altars and don't even give altar calls and don't even let people know that God has provided a way of escape for you out of your sin. I know this is heavy for a Wednesday night, but this has been in my heart, and I've got to get this out of my spirit tonight. I'm telling you, church, that our city, if it's ever needed an authentic apostolic church with a supernatural environment, this city needs it right now. You're going to think I'm being critical when I say this, so just please know my spirit. The other night, on July the 3rd, my family and I went out to the Anderson Airport because there was a little air show and they were going to do fireworks and all that. And I stood in the middle of all the people in this city that came. And I got extremely overwhelmed as I stood and looked around me. I went back to my car to get the chairs for my wife and girls. And when, I, when me and uh, Jocelyn walked to get the, 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 the chairs out of my pickup truck, as we turned to go back down the other aisle, the smell of marijuana just overwhelmed me. And Jocelyn said, ooh, Dad, you smell that skunk weed? I said, yeah, I smell it. We just kept on moving. 
I got real hungry right after that. <laughs> had to stop and get some Doritos. And uh, uh, please understand me when I, I'm being serious. I'm, I'm, I'm not being critical. But I, I stood around me. And I, I, I just watched. There were thousands of people there. Thousands. I think the newspaper said like over 4,000 but that was, that was like on the grounds. When my wife left a little earlier than we did, they were backed up all the way from the Chesterfield town line all the way down Scatterfield. Traffic was backed up trying to get there. Thousands of people. And I stood in the middle of them. And I, I literally stood and watched people ticking and jerking. Because they were tweaked out. My family and I couldn't hardly... Catch a breath at times. Bishop and I were sitting there. And he said, man, I'm so sick of this smoke. My, my aunts were sitting with us. And they said, man, this, this smoke. There were several people around us smoking, smoking, smoking. All these people, you could tell the way their faces were. And, and, and I hate to even say anything like this because I just, I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying as making fun. But all these people, they've, all their teeth are missing because They've done so many drugs and pox in their face and sores all over their body. You know the, the, the addiction is just, it's just horrible. And I thought, why in the world, when we're in the shape we're in as a nation right now, would preachers step behind the pulpit and say apostolic power isn't necessary anymore? Am, am I alone in this fight? Can I tell you that the more pride flags that go up, the more power we need in our pulpits? Come on, I've, I've come to stir you up tonight, church. I've come to stir something up in your spirit. I want to tell you, we don't have time to compromise on this message. We don't have time to compromise on our worship. We've got to be the kind of place that when a drug addict walks in this church, they know when they walk through the doors, there is liberty in this house like they've never felt before. I know, I know with our precious church family, I don't have to pre-qualify anything, but I know there's other people that will watch and will listen to what I'm saying. So let me just pre-qualify this one time and tell you, I believe in treatment programs and I thank God for it. I thank God for every kind of program we can start and do and hopefully by the help of the Lord, someday we will. But I'm not, I'm not just here tonight to talk about churches that are offering 12-step programs and 10-step programs. I'm talking about the kind of atmosphere that is so bathed in the power of prayer that when people walk in they walk in addicted and they walk out set free I know people don't believe that happens anymore but I've come to preach on Wednesday night I believe it as strong as I've ever believed that God is still a deliverer he still is powerful oh God 
He is still as powerful as he has ever been. I know people probably get tired of me sharing this story, but it's as powerful as anything I've ever heard, and I believe it. I've heard the story a thousand times in my life, and it never gets old, but my granddad used to tell me about the night that Larry Merrill called him in the middle of the night, and he said, man, Larry was so drunk, he couldn't hardly talk, and he said, preacher, I want you to meet me and baptize me in Jesus' name. It was like three or four in the morning, and my granddad got out of the bed and came down to the church and he baptized brother Merrill in Jesus name he big old tall man he said Larry was so drunk he couldn't hardly walk down into that baptistry he said but when I got him in the water and I put him under in Jesus name he said when he came up out of that water he was as sober as a newborn baby I've come to tell you I still believe in the power of Jesus name there is no drug that is greater than the name of Jesus there is no vice that is greater than the name of Jesus I'm telling you this city needs a church that they can leave with answers let's lift our hands and praise the Lord together I'm not here tonight to frustrate anybody. I'm not here tonight to hurt anybody. But I'm here on a mission from the Holy Ghost to stir somebody up. And I'm going to tell you that while we've been praying for years and years that God would give our lost loved ones a revelation of eternity and would give our children a revelation of hell and a revelation of eternity. I'm telling you, we've been praying for the wrong things. I want God to stir them up. But my point to you is this. We cannot expect the world to have a revelation that the church don't have. We want the world to have the revelation of the times that we're living in. But I'm not so sure that the church as a whole has a revelation of the times that we're living in because if we really believed that the that return of Christ was imminent. I wonder how many services that we would just sit idly by thinking I'll get what I need on the next service. I'll come next Sunday if I feel like it. I'll come next Wednesday if I feel like Hey, I want to tell you, this world is looking for answers and the church has got to get convinced that we've got the answer. I thank God for my children. I came in here yesterday. Yesterday morning I was praying over my kids and I laid down on the floor and I had my head underneath the the pew. Got to thanking the Lord for my kids and my wife and my family. And the thought was occurring to me that if my children had had some kind of a disease or whatever that I knew if I could travel to a certain place and get the antidote for them that I would exhaust every resource I had. You understand what I'm saying? If I knew I had what could heal my kids, if I spent everything I had, every every dime I had, 
I'd fly, drive, crawl, run, carry guns through it, guns on, I'd, whatever I had to do to get my hands on the antidote. Everybody doing all right? But we get in conversations among Pentecostals and we debate the imminent return of Christ. While we sit around debating whether it's going to be pre, mid, or post, somebody else dies with a needle in their arm. come in this place with a burden tonight I, I can't imagine knowing that we've got the answer but we want to keep the answer for ourselves Woo! Brother, Brother Josh Carson said something to me the other day that's had me stirred up in my spirit and again, if you, don't, if you don't understand my heart, then you'll misunderstand what I'm saying. But he said, man, I, I, I believe that we spend a lot of time preparing meals for people that are full. So we're preaching to people that are full. Now, if you know anything about me tonight, you know that I believe in the power of preaching. Okay? But I'm going to make this statement tonight, and I want it to be crystal clear what I'm saying. This church has been exposed, in my opinion, to some of the greatest preachers that we could ever afford to bring through here. I mean, we've had some of the greatest evangelists, greatest pastors. And I'm not just talking about in the last two years. I'm talking about... All of the, uh, I don't even know what you, the, the, the old legends, you know. I mean, best of the best. Robert Bear, Mark Hamby. We had, I mean, there ain't three people in here that know who that is. They all, all came through here. And forgive me if I sound a little partial, but I think R.B. Bingham was a pretty good preacher. Come on now. Thank God for my heritage, my dad preaching, Lord God, just blows my mind. I believe in preaching, all right? But on the midweek, the Lord brought this to me today, to my memory. On, on the midweek that we had church in the fellowship hall after our church flooded, I preached a sermon that it's time to put some go with our no. In other words, with the knowledge. We got to put some go with what we know. And I, I, I got convicted tonight on my way to church. And if it makes you uncomfortable, I, I hope it does in a good way. But the Lord started replaying that sermon over in my mind that I had preached that night. We got to put some go with our no. He said, how much time do you spend expanding the knowledge of people? Because my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
But can I, can I just be real with y'all tonight and be your pastor and, and love you and you still love me when I'm done and tell you, we're, we're not dying in this church for a lack of word. We're not going to stop preaching. We're going to preach till Jesus comes. But we've heard enough sermons to save every nation in the world in this church. Woo! Boy, it's tied up in here right now. But it, 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 it makes you wonder. At some point, when, when do we get so convinced in what we've been hearing? That we think everybody around us ought to know who Jesus is. The prayer of the North American church is inspire me one more time. The prayer of the North American church is entertain me one more time. If you don't believe it, go somewhere and listen to them sing songs that aren't the favorite of some groups and some churches. Because people will sit on the singing. And this church is as guilty as any church on, on being a little bit more quiet on preachers. It's not their favorite kind of preacher. Woo! But what if, my, 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 what if that service that you didn't quite like the songs and it wasn't your favorite preacher was the service that somebody's backslidden kid came to the church? And while we're waiting to be inspired, somebody's prayer is on the brink of being answered. Oh God! What if the service that we decide to just sit idly by and relax, but there's a backslider in the house that was raised around running and dancing and shouting and weeping and crying and speaking in tongues, but they walk in the house and say, I don't even recognize this place. This is not what I left. I wonder sometimes if we've got enough left of, of what they had when they used to be here, that when they leave the house, they leave with answers, or do they leave with more? questions come on let's lift our hands to the Lord I'm not struggling to preach right now I feel God in everything I'm saying I, I just need somebody to hear me tonight I have to be so careful with how I approach things. Sometimes I wish I could put a monitor on my brain so you could see how hard I'm trying to frame things the right way and say things the right way. But I'm saying to you, I'm afraid in our search for relevance sometimes we start removing things that have identified us as an apostolic movement that have brought us to the power that we have. I've told you the story years ago of the, the, the young man that came to this church. And when he, when he came, I sat down with him in a meeting and he said, I, I said, why are you here? He came from, 
another congregation. He said, I'm here because my pastor told me. He called me in his office and he said, I don't ever want to hear you speak in tongues out loud in church again. He said, why, pastor? He said, because if you speak in tongues, you may scare one of our guests off. He told him, he said, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want you jumping and running like you do. He, he said, you may scare our guests off. He was weeping and crying in my office. He said, pastor, I just want to be in an atmosphere of, of apostolic truth. I mean, what are we fixing? If we've got the fix and we, oh God. And we take it away so that we can be more relevant. Can I ask you, what's more relevant to the addicted than the answer to the problem? Does anybody in here still believe there's power in the Holy Ghost? Do you still believe that when the Holy Ghost gets in your soul, it'll change you from the inside out? I won't use any names, but I got on the phone with a pastor friend of mine the other day. We were talking about a meeting that had just happened and, you know, the, the preaching, whatever. And again, if you take us critical, that's fine. But we were just talking about that in this meeting, there was no like, there was no real call to repentance. There was no real call to self-denial. It was just kind of like. Leave happy. You know what I'm saying? And the whole point I'm trying to get to you is, he said to me, he said, Luke, he said, I'm I'm telling you, he said, we got to be careful. He said, there's something missing in our meetings. I said, what do you mean? He said, I remember the services at camp meeting when I was a kid. He said, I would beg my mom and dad to not make me go to the foreign missions services at camp meeting. He said, because those services were so powerful. He said, I was scared to death that if I went to that that service that day, that God was going to call me to the mission field. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? He said, I was afraid because the meeting was so powerful that I was actually going to have to respond to the call of the Spirit. He said, I would try to avoid the meeting. Oh, God, help me. It used to be, listen to me now, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. It used to be that it was so powerful, people would avoid the meeting to keep from having to answer the call. And so now we've changed the meeting and just said, well, if we don't call, then they won't be afraid. If we don't let the Spirit work, then they'll never have to say yes to the Spirit. I wonder, Bishop, how many missionaries God has tried to send through our churches. But when they got to our churches... They were addicted. And we just told them, God wants you to be happy. God has a plan. And the plan 
I believe is this. Even if it wasn't the spirit that sent the eunuch to Jerusalem, it was the spirit of God that got on Philip and said, that man needs some answers. I want to tell you, there, there may be some people, maybe they're led by the spirit and maybe they're just stopping by. But I do believe it's the will of God that you and I are so led by the Spirit of God that when they walk by us, we feel that nudge. This says those people are hungry and they've got to have some answers. I want to respectfully submit to this church tonight that if they're not going to get answers from the blood-bought, redeemed, Holy Ghost-filled, Jesus-named, baptized church, where in the world are they going to get an answer? I'm hurrying. I got. I I, got to close. I. I feel so heavy tonight in my heart. I wonder. I wonder if the the, the day will ever come in the church as a whole. Now, you just follow me right here, and I believe there'd be nobody in this place that would disagree. I want you to think about how much modern 21st century preaching is geared around keeping the church saved, keeping the church connected, keeping the church holy, calling the church back to repentance. I wonder what it would look like if the church would get sold out and the pulpits of America would be released to start preaching to the sinners again. Woo! Calling the sinner to repentance instead of the saint to restoration. I wonder what it would take to get us back to preaching things like sinners in the hands. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Folks, listen. I know, I know the temptation is there to put sugar on everything that we preach and to sugarcoat everything that we teach. But if, if you would allow me to play on words tonight, we're turning people into a bunch of spiritual diabetics because everything we feed them is so full of sugar and honey. I'm so desperate for God to do a work in this city and for God to do a work in this church. I'm so desperate for God to do something in the hearts of the men and the women of this church that that we'll never be the same again. I I wonder, I wonder sometimes, God, what are you going to have to do in me for your spirit to have to stop convincing me that I have found the way? And that this is truth. And that this is righteousness. And that this is holiness. And that this is what you want us to be as a separated church. Are you following me tonight? I wonder what would happen if we'd start praying that God do a work in me that would just settle the issue in my heart. Is this holiness still right? Is this still what I need to do? Instead of always making the prayer, God, how much can I get by with and still be saved?
Do I really have to dress like this? Is this really a heaven or hell issue? And every tick of the clock, another soul is lost. And we're still arguing with the Holy Ghost saying, that eunuch? No way. I ain't messing with no Ethiopian eunuch. No way. Not going to do it. But what you don't understand, Philip, is that this man, Lord Jesus, help me get this to your church. This man is connected to the treasures of Ethiopia. This man has open access to a nation. What would happen if the next person that God led you to was the one that had access to an entire family, to an entire office? Come on, somebody. When Philip was led by the Holy Ghost, he didn't know this man worked for the queen. He didn't know who he was. He just knew God sent him. But when God put Philip in his ear, God put that eunuch in Candace's ear. What are you saying, Pastor? I believe that when the church gets convinced that God can give us access to people that are sitting in high places that can get in the ears of the people that need to hear it. I'm telling you, we need revival from the White House to the courthouse to the schoolhouse to the church house to the crack house. We need revival. But somebody's going to have to hear the voice of the Spirit. Stand, stand with me tonight. I can't imagine going all that way to leave with no answers. But God put a man there. I prophesied several years ago that what we know as the mega church movement was going to, there was going to be a turn in that ideology. And that those churches were going to start dwindling down. And people were going to leave because their lives were not changing. And they were just happy at one time being in a social club. But now they're hungry. And I'm going to tell you if Acts chapter 8 proves anything to me. It proves that you can have access to all the wealth of the world. And still be hungry for the treasures of truth. I was standing right there about the one, two, third square out when the Lord spoke to me and he said, I've laid up the treasures of the wicked for my people. But my point to you tonight is that I wonder how many treasures we've just let walk by because we didn't have the time, Lord Jesus, to tell somebody he said he walked up, he walked up to the cart and he heard the man reading the Bible and he asked the man the question, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and the man said to him, he said, how could I unless I had a man to tell me? Can I tell you tonight 
that I still believe with all my heart that they cannot hear without a preacher. They cannot hear without somebody that's got the message on their tongue. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come on this Wednesday night to preach to you. I believe in this church and I believe in you people and I believe in you precious saints of God tonight but we've got to move beyond just being inspired and we've got to get a boldness in our spirit that when somebody's looking for answers we don't just send them away with hype and we don't just send them away with exhilaration but we give them the answers that the scripture that is that you're reading right now it's talking about Jesus and he's the only one that can make a difference in your life do you know why Philip could expound the scriptures because Philip was convinced brother when you and I get convinced there is nothing in this world that could change your mind people that are vacillating on this precious glorious gospel that we believe in I want to tell you why they could do that. Because they never settled it in their hearts. Well, I, I, I've heard them preach, Pastor. I, I know they believed it. No, I don't believe they did. I don't believe you could ever sincerely believe this gospel and preach anything else. I don't. I believe you may have had the knowledge of it, but you never loved it. I've said this for years in my ministry, and I'm, I mean it. I mean, don't you think I'm going anywhere? But I've always said, if I backslid tomorrow, don't expect to see me on TBN in six months. I ain't going to go preach somewhere else. Because there's no other truth. I mean, there's just truth. That's all there is. There's not like another Bible way. It's like there's just the Bible way, and that's it. Quit preaching one Lord, one faith, one baptism and go somewhere else and just start preaching. Well, you can come to him however you want to. You've got to get sold out in your heart. God, help us. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Would you just ask the Holy Spirit to settle some things in your heart right now? Come on, church. As your pastor, I'm sincerely calling you tonight. I'm calling you to an altar of self-observation calling you to an altar of self-observation that Lord search my heart and know me I pray oh God help me Lord I know we get busy in life I know we get consumed with life every day but I've got to tell you tonight we can't get so consumed that we forget what's most important Woo! For the world today, above him there's no one.